ask another couple to stand up. I'm going to ask Bob and Darla Garrett just to stand briefly. This is no joke. This is serious. Going to be married 50 years next week. So just, amen. Amen. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. That is a wonderful thing. Okay, this morning's message uh, kind of wraps around the, the week, which was kind of crazy. Ruth and I were helping to decorate for the sweetheart banquet when I got the call concerning my aunt. And then you know what, uh, you've all been there, and so you know what that means for that week. It's just kind of all different sorts of things. And not a whole lot of time could be spent at the office or even thinking about this morning. But even as I went through the preparations, because I was pretty much, Ruth and I was the main caregivers for my, for my aunt and all the various things and stuff you have to plan and decisions you have to make, we were doing that. But through that, God showed me something. Again, not I guess I would say reminded me of something, not show me because I've known this, but it's good to be remembered uh, from time to time. Uh, it was such a uh, pretty dramatic thing for my mother because she now feels she's the last one. And I even tried to encourage, well, what about all us? And she goes, that's not what I mean. And I can understand. She's the last of the generation that she raised her kids with, you know, and everything that they did. She's the last one of, I think, maybe there was at least eight in her family. And and that is, is sort of... Uh, a, t a tough thing, and it's emotionally hard on her, and my mom alone will be 90 in April. So we were con considering that uh, my aunt being that Italian, Roman Catholic thing, they still, part of my family wanted to have the Catholic Church involved, and I was like, fine. I, I didn't care because my aunt was redeemed by the power of God and saved. And, and so they said that uh, they would like to have a service at 1030 over there. Well, I had called the Catholic Church and said, well, you know, my aunt's going to be viewing here, so maybe I could have the service first, and then you could have it afterwards. But their schedules conflicted, and they just couldn't. So I was kind of, you know, a little, <clears throat> because I didn't, that means I have to take my aunt over to the Catholic Church, then bring her back here, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, that's kind of silly and too hard for my mom. So we decided not to. Now, that's where my little message comes from. So the opening text is John 6, 68. John chapter 6, verse 68. Brian, would you please take us before the Lord as they turn to the text? So the opening text, verse 68 says, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord. The Lord gave them a question, and he said, Lord, to, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter, you know, he gets made fun of a lot for all his, his big mouth and various things that he's done. But boy, he nailed this one right on. He said, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? I mean, you have the words of, of sustenance and subject matter. What, what you speak, things make uh, come alive and grow. He goes, where else should we go? Where else can we go, Lord, if we don't come to you? And that word life means real life, genuine life. Your words give real life, God. And that's kind of what I was thinking about with my family. Now, there's not that many left. My aunt and mom have outlived a lot of them, but I had maybe nine family members coming from PA and, oh, three from the south and a couple from the west. And I thought, man, Lord, this is my opportunity to give words of life again to my family. My aunt is in your hands now, and God is, can give us opportunities. They come together. I can speak the gospel to them. 
Well, when I made those arrangements for the sake of my mother saying, oh, let's just kind of forget the 1230 uh, moment here because just too, just too taxing. She just couldn't stand and go through all the crying and emotional stuff. So I called the funeral director to say, you know, could you let's let that priest know that I just need four minutes, maybe five, maybe five at all to just be able to address my family during the service. And so the priest called me and uh, we talked back and forth for about a few moments and he just simply said, um, no, you can't have any time. And so that was a little hard for me to swallow because I just felt like he was robbing me of an opportunity to speak to my, to my family. And, and I, I couldn't speak just because he simply said I wasn't Catholic. So I went by that just so I would not stir my mom and all that good stuff. But I also knew that I had opportunity at the gravesite, okay? But the gravesite's a whole different scene. It was cold, snowing, you're kind of huddled under this blue thing, and they're really not looking to hear some great long explanation of, of something. But I thought, I'm going to use this scripture. I'm going to use one verse that I've never, never used at a gravesite. And when I walked in Thursday to the viewing, um, it was up on the screen out there in the foyer, the scripture I was going to use, and I didn't say anything to anybody. So I thought, okay, God, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And the scripture was Psalms 116.15. I'm sure most of you know it. It says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saint, or one of his saints. And so in that huddled blue tent in that cold weather on Friday, I read this scripture to my nine cousins and brother and sister and a couple nieces, a one niece and a nephew. And I just went a little bit further and I said, that word precious, I said, when we looked at Aunt Mary passing away on Monday, we felt grief and heartache and, uh, you know, uh, despair and all that comes with the loss of a loved one. But I said, God said it was a precious thing, absolutely precious, that one of those who believe in me is coming home to be with me. And that word precious means it's a valuable, this is a valuable moment, not a horrible moment, a valuable moment. And sometimes we just don't look at those like when my father passed away on his birthday, that in my mother's mind ruined that day. But not in me. I'm thinking, God, that was a valuable, precious moment that that would happen. And I shared just a little bit. I mean, I'm sharing longer now than I did then. But I just said it means valuable and, and rare and, and precious. And then I said the word saint, and we're sitting in front of the majority of Catholics, who you know what their idea and their mindset of is saints or statues or someone who does a few miracles and they deserve this saint. I said, let me tell you what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word for saint means faithful one, an absolute true believer. And I'm letting you know that our aunt is not in this casket going in this ground. She's walking on streets of gold. Because this is what the Word of God says. Okay, it has nothing to do about the Catholic Church. I'm just talking about what happened and the Word of God to my Italian Roman Catholic family. Now, okay, just so you, just so you know where I'm coming from. That true, it means true meaning. It's a true believer, true meaning, not counterfeit, not pretend, but genuine, real. And this is what my aunt got that day she walked on with that candle lit. Now, as the day went on, nine of them 
Three of them had to go home right away, so I think there were six left in our house. As that day went on, a couple hours as we gathered, rather for bless all of you who made us some food that day, four of them separately came up to me and said, man, your words meant so much to me. They gave me hope. They were comforting to me. That was the words they used, hope and comforting. And, and this is now what God showed me or reminded me again, that his word is alive. It wasn't anything about me. It was cold, snowing a little bit under that blue tent, you know, a casket in front of you. There's nothing appealing. There's, there's nothing to really want to make you listen. Yet the word of God shot through them like a bolt, and they looked me up afterwards. And the reminder is, is I don't know, sometimes we sit in this stuff so long we forget how powerful the word is. How powerful it is. Now listen to me, these are non-believers. Their eyes have yet to be opened to the glorious gospel, yet they felt something. They felt encouraged, a spark of life or a spark of hope or encouragement because all of them were close to Aunt Mary. She wasn't a distance. She was, they were close to her. And so I thought of that scripture in John 6, 63, and this is what happened to them. It is the spirit that quickeneth the spirit of God that means to cause to live. And those words, four minutes maybe is all I was, five at the most, those words were quickened by the spirit of God and hit my relatives Right in their heart, it says, the spirit that is what quickens is to cause to give life. Now listen, the other side of this, the flesh, that carnal nature that you and I worry about so much, profits nothing. It's only the Spirit of God. Right now, what you're doing is, is giving yourself opportunity. This is profitable. This is giving you an opportunity to receive the eternal words of life, to maybe alter your walk if you're out of step or not thinking properly, lining up with the Word of God. But God says, if you're like, you just blow this off, maybe to make double time, triple time, God says, that profits nothing. And I saw it right alive in, in uh, cousins who I hardly have any contact with anymore and who are not even redeemed by the power of God. I've seen the Word of God have effect on them and effect on them to the point that it motivated them to come talk to me. Nobody talks about that stuff hardly at all anymore, especially non-believers. Yet they were compelled in fact, one came twice to me. So I just, I got to tell you again, that was just unbelievable. It was just, and I just was like, thank you, thank you. Because if I tell them this, they wouldn't quite understand it. So the word of God says, the flesh profiteth nothing. And here, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak, when you speak to people, speak what the word of God says, because God will quicken them and cause them to produce life in your family around you. No matter how bad you bumble over the words and, and mumble and stumble over what you're saying, speak the word of life. Speak the word of life to them. Disappointed that I didn't have the four or five minutes, and God was like, "It's no problem. Don't blow your testimony. Don't rip the phone off the wall. Don't look at. Don't go try to find the priest. We'll do something at the gravesite." And He did. He absolutely did. 
the word flesh. Now listen, because you compare your life and how much you take care of the flesh and how much you take care of the spirit person. Okay? The definition of the word flesh. It says this. Can you see it up there? The flesh, it says, denotes mere human nature. Our, our human nature. The earthly nature of man apart from divine influence. Apart from God. And therefore prone to sin and to be opposed to God. This carnal nature is opposed to God. Which one of those natures inside of you do you attend to most? It's God's telling us, you understand, if you're, if you're in any kind of, some of you buy things to sell them to make a profit. Some of you start businesses to try to make a profit. Okay? And so all this time and effort and money you're pouring into the flesh and God's already told you, pal, that's never going to profit. And so if I was your uh, uh, person who handled your money and you keep pouring money into Fannie Mae or something, you're gonna, wouldn't you be wise if I said to you, look, are you crazy? It's never going to make you any money. You're going to get no profit from this. It would be wise for you at that moment to say, I'm done doing that. I'm done. Now look, this is exactly what you and I have to do with our lives. I don't know if the church, especially the American church, gets this. A lot of church sometimes just kind of fit into a category of things that we do. If you've got time, we know it's right, it's morally good, you love God, all that kind of stuff, but it just has yet to take the supreme spot in our lives that it should. And when that does, then God will move. You understand? He will. The flesh profits nothing. That word profit simply means to be useful or advantageous, to profit, and you'll get nothing from the flesh, nothing at all from this flesh. Look, prove it to you, all you sort of young guys, go run your 50 miles a day, go pump iron 3,000 pounds a week, whatever else, various, sooner or later you're going to look like this. You're going to walk up the steps like I do, just kind of like ginger now. It's just the way it is, isn't it, Jim? It is. We just kind of talk. We're like, man, we hate this. But And, and I did all that. I did that running, and I stood before the mirror, and I did the weights, and I taped my arms, and ooh, and all that stuff, but it still comes down to this. All them sports, all that stuff I did was, yes, I enjoyed myself. I do love sports and all that kind of stuff, but it profits nothing. I get no profit from it. It just doesn't. But the Lord says the words that I speak, even though... Uh, uh, even though I only gave them like five or six minutes were spirit and life. It quickened them, and they had to say something. I just was amazed. I really was amazed. I was disappointed. I thought, yeah, I know I need to do this for my mom, but Jiminy's. And that word life means absolute fullness of life. That's what the Word of God, and you have it right in your mouth because your heart should be full of the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in my that I might not against thee. That's what it is. That's what spoke. And even at, you know, I, 
want to say, okay, I do this for a living. I understand about preaching, but sitting out there in that grave site with the stuff going on in a cold, watching my mom feebly walk across, thinking, I'm not going to take long time. I was not thinking God was going to quicken this and really nail I wasn't. And yet he did. The Word of God. Look, if we have not come to the place, you and I, if we have not come to the place where we look to God and say, God, where else can I go? Then you haven't gone very far with Jesus. You haven't gone very deep because you must think that you can accomplish things and do things on your own. I would have no clue what to do next. Nothing. John 11.40 says this, Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that thou wouldst believe thou shouldst see the glory of God? I don't know how much we really truly believe in the Word of God. I know you believe, but I don't know if we've just kind of like sold out. That word, that word, the glory of God is the, the kingly majesty of the Messiah. That's what we need in the house of God. Not just another day in church. We need that glory to come into the house, to just roll in however it does it. And I'm not talking about the silliness and the foolishness that has gone on in our nation. I'm talking about getting back to the Word of God. And God says, all you've got to truly do is believe. You don't have to do 50 more jumping jacks. You don't have to perform, spin 20 more dishes than you were. Just believe it. And my non-believing cousins felt it. So how can believers not understand it and get it? And I even understand at times you might not have the luxury of they did of feeling it because God will do that for them. For you and I, he says, now you should walk by. And you don't need to feel every little thing, but you should walk by faith and obedience to the word of God. And God said, I'll do it. Just believe me that I'll do it. And that's what he was saying to Martha Mary. Can you believe now think of that. In front of the casket of the dead one, can you believe? You'd be looking at that. My aunt was as hard as his pulpit. You believe? That word believes means to be persuaded, to place confidence in. Do you live your life being persuaded? There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to believe in. It's not Jesus and. It's not the word of God in this. It's God and God alone. It's the word and word of God alone. That's, you have to set that anchor in the ground. You must put that in there. Jesus, look, he was fully capable of this miracle without them believing. You think he needed them to believe? He could do what he wanted. Without Mary and Martha saying, yeah, I believe. But if they would not believe, they would never have seen the glory of God. That's our part. He's capable and willing and ready he needs a group of people that will believe and persuade it. Absolutely. If I never see it, I believe it. That's what God's looking for. And the glory of God will become manifested in the presence and in the house of God again. It's bad in America. We're all technicians now. I mean, we've got things. We've almost got God out of church. So even when I'm doing this, halfway through this, I type, God, I want to believe like this. I want to, Lord. There are so many things that come against me. I know that, but I want to believe. I want to eat and breathe and live in the glory of God. 
I want you, God, in spite of what I look like at times. I want this, Lord. I want this for New Hope. I want this for Muskingum County. I want this for Zanesville. So the idea is we got to get out of our seats and just believe God. Start believing God and his word. Trust him. He can't fail you. He did not fail my aunt. And my father, and all three of them came this way, and I'm going, Lord, they don't know what I do. They have no clue, but how's this going to work out? Well, my mother's still living. Two out of three are in heaven. If they'd have went anywhere else, they probably might not have. And somebody was just telling me odds of people that get saved. It's like 18 and under, the odds are good. Never that. It's bad. 80 years old, forget it. And they're all over 80. That's what God does. Listen, every time, almost every time, I would go and visit other elderly people long before my mom and dad even gave me an iota about what I was doing could be good. Long before that, I would go and visit them, and they'd be dying, and if they died or whatever it is, I'd walk away, and I'd say, God, please take care of my parents, because they're 150 miles away. And I would always tell God, God, please send someone to them. One of their best friends, whoever, some old Italian buddy that came born again and would speak to them. And God did even better than that. He brought them out here to you. He brought all of them out to you. And you talked to them and you loved them. And their eyes were open, even over 80 years old, because you spoke and you gave them the words of life, the love of Jesus. It works. It absolutely works. So the non-believer sees it and consents it. Now to us believers, we've got to start walking in the power of God and believing it. Quit wimping out. Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what thy will and it shall be done. Now see, if you're abiding in God, truly abiding in God, you're not going to be so God, I want a Lincoln, I want a Cadillac, I want a Porsche, I want a... That's not abiding in God. You'd never have that heartbeat. You'd be saying, oh, God, give me a heart to care for the lost. You'd be saying, Lord, move upon me. Use me in any way possible, God. That's what that verse means. Could there possibly be a church in this town that would abide in him and his words abide in you and you shall ask and it shall be done? In other words, the Lord is saying, I am the source and your strength of your life. If I'm the one guiding you, ask. God will move heaven and hell to redeem somebody. And you and I could be his arms and his feet. And then we ask and speak and not to consume it on our own lust. Let's start believing God and his word got to change some priorities this morning there's nothing married nothing wrong with being married it's wonderful it's beautiful i love being married to my wife but it does not belong at the preeminence neither does the children that come from this relationship things need to be put in order according to the word of god so that that glory and manifestation power of god can be seen and felt My unsaved cousins were moved by it. And I don't even know him. 
John 14, 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. That was my cousin. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But it says to the church, You know him. In other words, God's saying, You should be getting this. You should be understanding what we're talking about, the eternal kingdom of God and the words of life. You should be able to believe for the impossible. He's God. Absolutely God. He's almighty. We are called to a higher purpose than to just hack out some living, have babies, buy a paper, and root for a team. We are called to do something that will glorify God. This is what God is saying. You know this. You should be getting this. You should understand this. Remember the first, the uh, half acre that's in front of us? Who remembers that message? First half acre. We look at all the problems of the world. God just says, just take care of that first half acre. I don't forget the dimensions of a half acre. Is it 200 by 200? 200 by 100? It's almost this building then, inside. I think we're 100 by 80, something. It's close, whatever. You'll get the idea. Samuel said, remember, Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan went up. And he slaughtered. It was just Jonathan and the arm bear, two people. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his arm bear made was about 20 men. Wherein, as it were, in half acre of land, which says, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Trying to give you an idea. Well, I, that doesn't help me, but it might you guys. Just a half acre. And look, and there was a trembling in the host. This is what must happen. There has to be a trembling in the darkness that has an unbelievable stranglehold on this area. There has to be a trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrisons and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling, just because Jonathan went out and had victory over 20 of the enemy, over a half acre, and there was acres and acres of them. Our, our usually our attitude is, I vote, it's only me, or what can I do, it's just me, and what's my prayers matter? Take a half acre. Who knows what trembling God will cause in the ranks of the darkness that has this city tied. And it says it was a very great trembling, great and it goes on and says, And the watchman of Saul and Geba and of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude, the enemy, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Now, who could have figured that out? You think Jonathan talked to his arm bearer? If we could just take out 20, I know God's going to do something awesome. He's going to make us sound like a cabillion, quadrillion, million army, and they're going to turn and kill each other. When we're driving out to the gravesite, I didn't say to Ruth, you watch what God does. But God does these unbelievable and unthinkable things if we just go and honor his name. We can cause a great trembling in the kingdom of darkness. Someone just came to me this morning and said, you know what, I don't want to go out that way. I want to go out swinging. I thought, yeah, cool. This is what it is. Cause that great trembling in the kingdom of darkness. And all the circumstances that build up against us, they'll melt away. 
All the enemy and all the voices and all the lies and things that happen to us, as you honor God, they'll just tremble and melt away. As you just take that half acre, 20 out of maybe a million people that come against you. We've got to just start getting out of our seats and believing God, not just getting out of them and going home. Matthew 6.33, here comes where you've got to change things. God has said this forever. You know this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that we put ahead of this will be added to you. This is your life. It's not if you, you're going to be prom queen, captain of the football team. You're going to have I, Kappa, whatever, Delta, whatever college. You're going to have this job. No, it's just seek ye first. God says, do that first. See, this is not a pastor thing trying to get his people to do more stuff. No, we're trying to follow and be obedient to God so that we can have the presence of God in here like none other. And God tells us over and over, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This must, look, this has to be a rule of our life when ordering our priorities. A rule. It's absolutely wrong thinking. If we just put this as another priority to fit into our list of priorities. God's not a priority. He's a life. He's your way. This is what God's telling us. This is what we don't get in America. And I'll tell you why in a second. God has to be put at the top. Instead, in everything we do, we should seek first the kingdom of God. Everything that we do. All our men's Bible studies, listen up, they're courageous and fireproof. For example, we don't have to choose between honoring God or loving your wives or being a good worker. You don't. Now, which one of me? These are all three. What am I going to do? All you got to do is honor God, seek first the kingdom of God, and by being, that will produce you to be a good husband and a good worker. As you seek God first. And God will say, what would you say that for? You shouldn't talk like that to her. It's not, you, you this is how, this is where we mess up. And the scriptures right before that, God says, don't take any thought for tomorrow. That's all we do. That's all we do. We live with worry. God says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? That's all we worry about. Seriously, which one of us by worry can add one cubit, one second to our life or to our stature? Worrying accomplishes nothing. We can add nothing to our lives by worrying, other than poor health, probably. Look, there may be greater sins than worry, but there are none more self-defeating and wasteful as, as worry. Because worry has produced something in our nation has produced a new theology, a self-seeking theology. No more for others. You can see it in the, in the natural world. All our elected officials, nobody cares about the future of America. It's what can I get now, and can I get reelected now? And now that's in the church. What does Jesus have for me now? What? No fish, no bread? That's, the, that's what's happened to our nation. When all the times God's saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God, we're seeking it for us. You walk around his car six times, it's yours. You say that 20 times, it's yours. Abraham was rich, you should be rich. 
The American church has adopted a theological focus that is self-centered. What's in it for me, and what do I get out of this? We do. It's, 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 I don't, I'm not the only voice saying this. We live in a self-seeking church age. We're a mirror of the world. Nobody in the world was saying, man, we've got to worry about our children. Ah, 17 trillion! I don't have to have any education. And I know that 17 trillion is bad. Did you hear that one speaker? I can't remember his name, but he spoke at Obama's, President Obama's about two guys away from him. And he said, you understand how much 17 trillion is? He said, you just count. One, two, three. Uh, say a number a second, and he said what you can't when you get up to 1,298. That takes longer than a second. I can't quite remember what he said, but he said it'll take you over 5,000 years or something to count to 17 trillion. Look, this is where it is. We got to leave all that in the hands of God. Okay? O'Reilly and Hannity and all them. All those guys, left wing, right wing. That guy said something was pretty cool. Talked about the bald eagle. You remember the bald eagle? It's our emblem. You know, really doesn't mean bald, but that's what we called it now. And he's watched it soar. And he said, how does it soar? Has a left wing, and it has a right wing. And it soars. Right? In other words, it has to come together is what he was talking about. Okay. Here's the church's job. Isaiah 58 says this. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of the wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? This is what you're supposed to be doing first. And God says, I'll add the rest of the stuff for you. When your kids need tennis shoes, they'll have them. When you go to get milk, it'll be there. Do this stuff first. And the American church has not been doing this for years. That's why Christianity is on a huge decline, and that's why there's hardly any Christians in key spots. Because we've been attempting to consume us on our own lust and not give the gospel away. And if you truly believe the word of God that through the words of life that nine unsaved cousins can be shook by something that only took four or five minutes to just read. I wasn't going, and God said, I was just reading, trying to be polite. You take that who know better. You take that who's supposed to be filled with God the Holy Ghost and speak the words of life to people. God will shake and tremble this city and nation and state for the glory of God. But the church isn't doing that. We're just not. You just have to truly say, that's true. God says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. The fast that I have chosen is to loose the bands of wickedness. People are ensnared. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. It is it is not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring poor that are cast out of. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked that, they co that you cover them 
and that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. In other words, that you don't hide yourself from humanity. Oh, I don't want to see it. Let's have our own saved school. We hide from the job that God has called us to do. Therefore, we're saying, where's the power of God? Well, what do we need it for? Seriously. If we can get the focus off of ourselves and on the lost like God wants, things can happen again. You might not know it even when you're speaking. And like I was out there at the gravesite, had no clue, closed the book, prayed. I thought, oh God, wow, that was good. And yet my cousins couldn't come. In fact, my nephew came up and kissed me right there on the spot. Forty-some-year-old nephew thanking me. You just don't know what God will do. These words of life, he has decided to work with humanity. Divinity and humanity working together like in the garden. Remember, God got it all ready, put man in there and said, now do it. Man and God working together. Your humanity, God's ready to work. His sleeves are rolled up, ready to go. The last verse says, then shall thy light break forth. If we do what God has called us to do, look what verse 8 says. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. Listen, the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. But we got to do what God has called us to do. God, we got to care. We have to be moved with compassion, not what's in it for me. I ain't teaching them kids. We got to get rid of that self-centered, focused theology that has bombarded America. Oh, it has. It's horrendous how bad it's been. And the key is if my unsaved cousins can be moved at that moment, even for that little bit of time by the Word of God, how can we not be? Even now. Remember the three jobs and what all the various things that you're into and I don't know, whatever we get into, you know, this team, that team, and this player, God says that all profits, nothing, nothing. He says, the words that I speak, that's what matters. That's life. And the church is to be the extension of what God says and does. He was our example, and now we are to carry it on, and it will work. I don't care if you have two pennies and you hardly can get out of the house. God will do something through you. He'll do something through you. Our prayer at this altar call is simply going to be, God, help me to care. Help me to care. You look at the world and you simply go, what can I do? You can do nothing, but let God do something through you. Let God do. God will just, you'll be, you'll be saying, God, oh, God, I can't do that. God say, look right. You look right, because he told you to. Go over there and say something. You go over there and, and whatever, say something. Let's stand, please. That gentleman that was talking, that, that prayer, service, breakfast, whatever it was, I just caught him for a few seconds late last night. I was having trouble sleeping last night. It was maybe a rerun with Hannity or something, and... He kind of was chuckling when I finally turned it on, and he was talking about the reaction from everything he said. Ooh, how could you say that stuff in front of the president? And he's like, president? It's, this is truth. It's true what I said. 
and he's laughing about how everybody is in awe. They're in awe about what he said. And he's like, these are simple, basic truths that we believed years ago. And on we itty, 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 bitty, teeny scale, I did that with my cousins. When they were coming up to me inside, I was going, what? I didn't even have, I just read. I told one, I, I, well, I just read it. It's the Word of God, that's why. That's what I told them. It's the Word of God that's like. Oh, Unc, you were just, Unc. I said, no, it's just, it was the Word. That's how awe-inspiring the Word is and how alive it is. And it's in you. If you are a true believer, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And when you are in certain situations, maybe the word starts to gurgle and bubble inside and you look for an opportunity to speak it. Quickens. You might not see, sense anything, but it'll do its job. God, help us to care. Lord, help new hope to care. You have an abundance of opportunity to care the first two days of March in restoration. We are going to be doing and facing a lost generation of children. If you're not involved and Jennifer needs somebody, get involved. If all the slots are taken, then pray. Pray for it. Pray for Adam. Look, Adam is the key guy. Adam went through some nasty sickness a couple weeks ago. I said, Jen, where's Adam? He's sick again. He can't be sick. Come against that in the name of Jesus. Care. Care about this and care about what God places on your heart. Our altars are open. Please come. Please come and say, God, help me to care. Lord, especially us men, God, help us to care.